do it. Welcome into a very special edition of the Living Force Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and joining me today are two lovely fellas I get to hang out with all the time. The first is Dr. Corey Helton. How are you doing, sir? I am doing excellent now that we have a wonderful guest this afternoon. That's right. Uh, not as wonderful, but still slightly wonderful as Dr. Charles Hankel. Hey, dude. Hey, how's it going? I'm stoked to be here, but let's get to the most important person. All right, the most wonderful person, of course, is the writer of the upcoming much-heralded, much-hype-trained book, Star Wars Visions Ronin, Emma Miyako-Kandon, has joined the show. Welcome! Thank you for having me. I am happy to be here with my equally wonderful hosts. You are all great. <laughs> yes! All right, we can clip that out as well. We're going to play that before every show going forward. As much as I love you. <laughs> awesome! Oh, well, for those of you that have been living under a literature rock for the last few months, uh, as you said, Emma is the author of the upcoming and as if today released right here, Star Wars Visions Ronin, um, which I, gosh, I almost want to do a one sentence pitch, but it's very hard to pitch this book. So Emma, actually, what would your one or two sentence pitch be for this book you've written? Well, when you're wandering around the world and people every so often ask you, hey, what do you do? Uh, before I've had to tell them, well, I'm an editor and I edit anime nonsense books. And they're like, I don't quite know what that means, but okay. <laughs> but now I get to tell them I wrote a Star Wars book and it's Star Wars through the lens of Japanese history and mythology. Um, love it. And yeah, and once you all get to read it, you'll understand just how intensely accurate and wonderful that is. Um, so you know what? Let's just dive right into talking about it. Uh, Corey, we're going to do a little round robin bit of questioning for you here, Emma. So Corey, if you want to start us off, let's uh, let's just dive right in. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think I think it would be sort of remiss of us uh, to be on a Star Wars podcast and not ask you probably the most common question that anyone ever gets asked that does this type of thing is, you know, if our listeners haven't heard you on some of the other interviews you've done, what is some of your, you know, background to Star Wars, right? I mean, I know that, you know, we talked earlier that we're sort of uh, focused on the books and comics and the expanded universe. If you want to kind of tell us a little about how maybe you're exposed to that, that would be cool too. But what is sort of your introduction to all this? Yeah, so it was accidental. Nobody planned this. It just kind of happened. Uh, my family was on vacation with another family and we're at a river. And so, like, the kids are expected to be outside of the cabin, you know, in the river, and it's very cool. I'm collecting rocks. I like that. <laughs> but on the dinky little television, I pass by, and there's a man hanging upside down, surrounded by ice and snow and a Yeti. And he's reaching for something in a snowbank. And I couldn't look away from that point already. But then it whips out into his hand, and it's like a burning bright sword made of light. And I just... I was there for the next five hours watching the rest of Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And it was over for me from then. I'm sure. I think I watched A New Hope later that weekend because it was one of those marathons that they do. Mm -hmm. And after that, once I got home, I was reading. I was an early reader. So, you know, seven, eight years old, reading every 
book from the extended universe I could find in the library. A lot of it's going right over my head, but I'm absorbing all of it ravenously. <laughs> and then, you know, I can go to the bookstore and they've got like those encyclopedias of a hundred vessels or a hundred characters or a hundred like species in Star Wars. And that's directing me to other content. And I'm like, oh, I got to see if any of my libraries have this one. Um, or I would be like, you know, sitting in, in a part of the library, like reading through a new book uh, or the bookstore, you know, like reading, <laughs> not buying. And gosh, yeah, that was a huge part of my childhood, like all the way up until when I was a teenager and I kind of fell off reading it as intensely. So uh, I haven't actually read a lot of the new content, like so the legend stuff. Mm -hmm. I read a lot of, but it was a long time ago and it was very eclectic. So sure. my knowledge is kind of patchy in a couple of ways there. My knowledge is also pretty patchy of the present era because I'm catching up with it now because mm -hmm. I was mostly tuned into like the movies and stuff sure, sure. of the mm -hmm. present day. And now I'm watching like, I watched all of Clone Wars in grad school because it was like my cool down time. Ah, yes. Like the new comics and the new books i'm i'm very much like at my beginning stage there taking recommendations and going ooh yes that's right up my alley yeah <laughs> sure sure oh my gosh i i i was so sucked away by the way you described that first viewing of like how specific with like the hanging in the snow like i i feel like that's <laughs> such an impactful moment for a young kid and for, for obviously for that to still be burned so precisely into your mind is so it's so beautiful and i and i I think that, you know, there has to be so many of us that remember it in that way, but sometimes don't take the time to actually talk that out. So listeners, viewers, if you haven't said that out loud, how you watch Star Wars for the first time, do that because that has inspired me to think about like sitting on my living room floor, like what color was the carpet? What was the temperature <laughs> like? Because it was a big moment. Gosh, I love that. You know, that's actually that's actually a pretty big therapy trick. Um, my wife is a uh, is a marriage and family therapist. That's that's a mm. kind of big therapy trip about helping people get grounded is to really think about the sensory things in, in your memories, what were smells associated with it. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. like, you know, when mm -hmm. you smell yeah. something, sometimes you get a whiff of like something being baked. And you just have a flash of memories mm -hmm. come back to mm -hmm. you. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. Wow. That's awesome. And, and and also, like, I can see that, too, even in your writing style and Ronan, like the, the way you use those senses and stuff to evolve. Again, no, no spoilers on the show. I guess we didn't say that up top. No spoilers for Ronan here, but it, that is very it's very evocative. I guess I'll, I'll put that word on it. I'm glad because <laughs> I feel like description is not something that comes intuitively to me. I've heard like I think it was written by Arkady Martin. Uh, who wrote A Desolation Called Peace is the second one, A, a Memory Called Empire, uh, which came out like only a couple of years ago. But I, it won the Nebulas, I think. It's a very, very good book. Mm -hmm. But she has this craft essay on like your cheats, the things that you that for you as a writer come very, very naturally to you and that you can just like almost fall back on that. And like, I can whip out a thousand words of that easy. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's like concept stuff and dialogue, but like descriptions is actually something I have to work very, very hard on. It's not easy for wow. me. Wow. <laughs> well, what, well, what a good fake is what else is what else said going through the book. My goodness. Um, wow. So speaking of that book, we, we usually do a couple pre-questions, but there's so much you get into with Ronan. So Charles, what's our what's our first yeah. question about the Ronin process? 
Well, so Ronin's full title, right, is Star Wars Ronin, a Visions novel. So mm-hmm. it's obviously tied into Visions and that whole project. How did the timeline of that project kind of fit in with, with everything else? So was it that you heard about Visions first and then the book, or was the book brought to you first and then you found out more about the whole show? And on the heels of that, I have to ask, is it true that the manuscript for your upcoming book, uh, The Archive and Dying, was involved at all in getting you this gig? Uh, so to the last, yes, absolutely it was, because as many people have noticed, I am not a published author. I will be, I think the day this goes up, but as of right now, no books, no stories, no nothing. I've done published editorial work, but that's it. And um, so what I learned around this time last year from my agent was that Star Wars was looking for an author of Japanese descent for some kind of writing gig. And I had no idea what for. I could only assume it had to do with some character of Japanese descent or some other thing within the canon universe. And then in the first days of December, um, okay, so right. At that point, she sends in what's essentially my audition package, which is the first chapter and change of that manuscript Uh, The Archive Undying, which currently we were talking about with an editor who eventually bought it about a month later. So uh, that gets bought very end of October 2020. Then about a month later, very beginning of December 2020, we get the call that Star Wars is interested in me writing a book for them. And that was what I learned about the whole Visions project. And that was actually, if you look at the timeline, days or a week not very long before they actually announced it to uh what was it the shareholders meeting oh yeah that earnings where, call where it was like yeah. 11 shows yeah. like what yeah. in the world <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. so that came out like a couple days after i had heard the pitch i had been given the lay of the project and been like here's the duel here's what we can give you for it we'll give you access to some other materials as production moves forward so yeah, I learned about it like literally minutes in the in the history of the universe before the rest of you did. Oh that is God, crazy. <laughs> I love that. You know, we've we've talked to some of the older writers like from the old days in Star Wars publishing uh-huh. when everything was just kind of from the hip. It seems like talking to folks like John Jackson Miller, like they've made it seem like all of publishing was this chaotic, crazy <laughs> thing. And like it is somewhat refreshing to hear some of that is is here still. Like, you know, it's just sort of the nature of the game in publishing. So wow. Yeah, yeah. No, that one. So I had a month to draft an outline and get that approved. And then I was writing it from early January to mid April. So wow. that was that was the drafting time. And after that, it was just, you know, like revision passes <clears throat> and so forth. Wow. That's and I guess that's like one thing, you know, obviously not being in the publishing industry, we can kind of guesstimate and stuff. It feels quick. Like this is less than a year ago. This was an idea. And now it's it's bound. It's next to me. Like this is a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's crazy because, uh, you know, like the archive undying have been bought literally a month before. And they're like, all right. We're going to put this out in 2023 and that seems a little far away but it's because all the pandemic stuff has juggled publishing dates around mm-hmm. right right and we had already gotten some whispers of the 
supply chain panic we're currently in the middle of. Yeah. Uh, and so like, yeah. all right, 2023, that's great. I have time to mentally prepare for that. <laughs> <laughs> what else could happen? Come on. Um, a month later, it's like, hey, 10 months. You got 10 months to get used Jeez. to this. Oh. So. That's fantastic. Well, yeah, nice little <laughs> reminder for all our, all our listeners. There's a huge uh, publishing shortage right now or printing shortage, yeah. right? So if you're going to pre-order your yeah. books, you better do it soon because, you know, we're about to hit a drought. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, in a big way. Because, like, my day job is also publishing with, like, uh -huh. a smaller publishing house that does all the anime and manga stuff. Oh, my God. We're definitely feeling the pinch. It's like, yeah. It comes up at different times where we're like, oh, God, you've got to get this. You thought you had a more another month of this book. You absolutely don't because if it doesn't get printed today, it will not get printed. Wow. Next, like yeah. six months. Crazy. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I guess on mm. that, like two things jumped to my mind. Number one, your first book is handling the Star Wars publishing and publicity cycle. So everything from here on out should be pretty simple, I feel. <laughs> you know, as far as secrets goes, as far as all that goes, I feel like it might be a little easier. Um but then I guess the day this does go out, number two, a formal congratulations on being a published author. Like, it, as of today, forever, awesome. you're a published author. That's amazing. Thank you. That's so it's, cool. It's huge. It's, um, I very rapidly, again, surprise, you got to do it now. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have two years to get used to it. So um, I've been trying to do that. And... Uh, I was absolutely convinced I was going to be a basket case because <laughs> I kind of was at different sure. points in the months leading up to this. Like I was so neurotic that I couldn't do anything. And I had to like have a Skype call with a dear friend or another just to get me through the day. So I could like mm -hmm. keep working. Otherwise sure. I'd just be called up like, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> and it's, it's all drained out of me wonderfully. So now I can just be like, hi people. You're cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God, love that. And, and hey, you know what? Our, speaking of which, our next our next question is about you more so than the book, because one thing that I loved as I was, I was reading through your author bio, and it describes you as quote a chronically ill queer cyborg, and it's one of the coolest bios I've ever read. And I, I wanted to ask you specifically: Can you tell us how your blood has literally been studied for science? <laughs> okay, so this is interesting. Um, just trigger warning for anyone who's been dealing with some of like the more severe side effects of the pandemic. Totally. The worst Thank case you. scenario in COVID happened to me in 2012. Mm. So I was hospitalized for multiple organ failure. Specifically, the lungs were the one that got hardest hit. And this all happened because I caught a virus. And uh, they, they tried to figure out like what had caused it. And they, they couldn't, they didn't. It was just too late. It had gone out of my system already. And it was just that my body was shutting down. So uh, I, was, I was teaching in Japan at the time. So I survived because one, Japan has nationalized healthcare. Two, because I was at a research university hospital. So they had a lot of resources and a lot of people who are used to thinking inventively and willing to take these sort of ambitious risks to try and keep a patient alive. And also I was the only person who was as sick as I was, who was yeah. in that ICU, but I was in the ICU for three and a half months. Wow. <laughs> and wow. I was on a respirator and I was on <clears throat> ECMO, 
which is wow. the one where they take your blood out of you, oxygenate mm-hmm. it, and put it back in. And they saved my life with massive amounts of steroids, just like three successive waves, just trying to kickstart my lungs and get them going again. And they did manage it. And like, just at the end of the day, like I was able to be downgraded to the emergency ward and then to a um, therapy hospital essentially. And from there, eventually six months after I was hospitalized, they deemed me healthy enough to survive the plane trip home. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which that is, is where chaos. I spent the next year and a half learning how to walk again wow. <laughs> and my uh, how to breathe and how to deal with my lungs. Mm-hmm. And then I went to New York to study for grad school. And in the middle of it, I was having these really severe hip pains and my wife and my father finally like bullied me into going to the doctor where they discovered that my hip bones were broken because one of these side effects of massive amounts of steroids is that in the joints of your body, uh, the blood supply can be cut off from your bones. So it turns out your bones are alive specifically with marrow. And if they don't get blood, the marrow rots and goes away. So I had been hiking around New York with these two like femoral heads that were just empty. And so they were slowly (laughs) caving in. And at one point when I finally saw an x-ray of it, I cracked up and I think I called it because, and I'm just remembering this now, like it looks like the Death Star. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That is... That is crazy. And so it's pretty similar to like the progression of COVID kind of as we've seen in the last year too. Oh gosh, exactly. It's, um, it's wild because like every once in a while they'll be like, oh yeah, no, they're starting to use ECMO. I'm like, yep, that makes sense. People aren't (laughs) being safe with steroids. Yep. That makes sense. They Mm -hmm. should watch out for a vascular necrosis. Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if my story is much more common in the next five years. Sure. But, um, so the use my blood for science thing comes from in Japan uh, toward the end of it when they had like, they were pretty secure in the likelihood of my survival. Uh, the head surgeon came to me and was like, would you be willing to let us take some blood samples so we can like write about what we did here and study, you know, like the fact that you survived. <laughs> so that's wow. how my blood's been studied. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I, I signed that away happily. Or my mom did because, like, I was basically immobile. But, sure. <laughs> um, and then uh, the cyborg comes from the fact that, you know, my hips were broken, so I had to get them replaced. So I, I have new hips. Hopefully the last in a long while. That's the best way to describe that. Yeah, Corey, tell us. Charles and I are both both physicians. We're medical physicians. I can can attest to everything that you just said is like (laughs) mind-blowingly crazy. Like, you're right. The fact that you're alive is amazing. Like, that that is a crazy survival story. That's so cool. Yeah, I spend a lot of time talking to health professionals in like the five years after because every time I was going in going like, hey, we haven't quite fixed this problem. They'd be like, okay, well, tell me your story. I'd be like, all right. (laughs) 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 How much time we got, right? Just a 40 minute appointment? I hope so. I got so used 
to medical students being brought in to look at me and I'm like, yeah, okay, that's just my it's wild. Wow. So specifically, um, I have bronchiectasis. So you like presumably you you're more likely sure. to know what that is. Sure. Um it basically just means my lungs are scarred and they're just not very good at doing the expand and the mm-hmm. track thing that mm-hmm. they're supposed to do. <laughs> um but yeah. Hello. Yeah. Wow. Wild. You have earned every every bit of that title. Yeah. I was say like, you gotta, like <laughs> and also if y'all anyone has like chronic illness or kind of things like that if you want to call yourself a cyborg i think we need to get that going more in the mainstream that's a way better descriptor for that yeah. whole story. yeah I, I, I yeah i gotta be honest i was expecting like you know some pretty normal genetic disorder or something like that but that is like the most incredible thing i've ever heard like you are absolutely a cyborg and i love that right i know yeah, no. I'm, just, I'm just waiting i'm waiting for you to like pull out an eye and be like and yeah so this is the thing that i used to look through walls with right like seriously that's crazy i mean i'm ready when it, whenever they want to do a tune-up or an upgrade <laughs> oh man i don't even how do we even transition from that this is so incredible inorganically we do it inorganically oh, by saying okay. this is the next okay. part star wars star wars podcast we're not doctors okay all right so uh i want to i want to ask you a little bit about um sort of your background with your japanese descent right so you kind of talked about your japanese descent impacting work throughout your life and you've specifically mentioned the work of akira uh kurosawa is that how you say that i want to make sure i'm pronouncing that correct yep Mm -hmm. and uh you know he's george lucas himself is is said to have talked about him as being you know sort of inspiration for a lot of his a lot of his projects do you have a favorite project um what films do you kind of think about most is incorporating what is your sort of i guess background with that inspiration i actually well in the very nerdy way i watched a lot of anime when i was a kid and you know being a kid is a great time to absorb garbage because yes. it's how you develop taste right <laughs> like and that was something someone said to me once and i've treasured it to this day because it really helped me reframe my viewing experience because mm-hmm. like Anything you consume is something you can learn from, regardless of whether it's to your taste or like the relative quality of it, if you want to get into that. Mm-hmm. Though I think you can have a lot of debates about quality and the meaning of that word. Um, but yeah, no, I watched a lot of anime and then as a student in undergrad, I was lucky enough to take, and I've mentioned this one a couple times, a course on pop culture and literature in post-war Japan. And that colored a lot of my context uh, in particular because at the time I was working on my thesis, which was partly about the way we narrativize racial history in Hawaii. And mm-hmm. um, that involved you know, talking about like the ways different groups in Hawaii have talked about their history here in the islands. Sure. And, uh, you know, for the Japanese, which is, you know, like um, my whiteness, my, my white father uh, was a transplant here, but mm-hmm. my Japanese family is the one that's like really local that like has that history. And so learning about the way that um, Japanese people in Japan were talking about their experience of war and the time after that and uh, paralleling that with the way that Japanese Americans were experiencing that and talking about it 
-hmm. that was really, really useful and very, very powerful. And so that I was also consuming a lot of literature in that regard. Um, And just before that, (laughs) I had taken a class just for fun, which was amazing. And it was the cultural history of Japanese monsters. And it was kind of just an excuse to talk (laughs) about Japanese Come on, my classes sucked. It was great. (laughs) I'm sorry. Should I curse? Can I curse? Yes, you can curse. Yeah, sure, yeah. go for it. We're we're absolutely somewhat of a PG thirteen show, as I'm sure that okay. you know our yeah, listeners can go for it. No, you are good. You're good. Uh, yeah, no, I I was very lucky to be at Barnard, and um, when you're at Barnard, you can take classes freely at Columbia. Like I was saying, like your academics are very well integrated. It's mm-hmm. just the social life and like trying to live with your friends here or there that's very complicated. Yeah. So um, there's a truly tremendously good uh, East Asian studies uh, for language and culture program over there. And I didn't know about that when I went and I probably didn't even think much of it because, you know, UH, the University of Hawaii also has a good one. So I'm like, oh, big whoop. (laughs) (laughs) I, I got to take this course from this guy who's just amazing. He has like this whole, um, he studies Godzilla in depth. He's written books that about it. Is... So good. <laughs> oh my gosh! I Corey, ju- you're I want, a doctor. I want, I want, that I want just sucks. to. I know it's so stupid. Like, I don't, why, a... what did I even? Yeah, what are you I doing? want to just get beer and talk to you about all of your life experiences <laughs> now. Awesome. <laughs> your life is just so much more interesting than mine has been. Like, let me tell you, this is fantastic. Okay, I have such a deep profound respect and admiration for healthcare professionals in part because of my experience because you know like you're you guys are the reason i still exist thank you for all the work you do <laughs> well thank you for keep keep writing star wars it's the only way we can stay sane okay <laughs> so. there we go i do so with utmost adoration and respect for the work you do well, thank you very much awesome. appreciate that yeah. well oh. it's interesting to hear you <clears throat> talk you know you can really hear uh the passion and the interest that you have kind of in obviously east asian history japanese history specifically with your heritage and with you writing a star wars book if you're going to write it from a historical framework it makes sense that you chose to do it from a japanese framework but at the same time are there specific aspects of japanese history like imperialism that make you think that it's just a good choice if you're going to write a book like this? Because I couldn't help but notice, you know, empire doesn't necessarily mean the empire like we've always understood it in Ronin. Yeah, no, 100% spot on. You you, you see into my mind. <laughs> yes! <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just one of the first questions I had to ask when I was given the duel, which is using the settings that Jidaigeki is interested in, which is like this shogunate or imperial Japan. Like, okay, so the context of empire is necessarily going to change because Japan has a different relationship with empire than, you know, the United States does. And I was talking with, forget who it was, Someone did a wonderful job of pointing out, I, I think it might have been Brian Young at uh, Full of Sith. He, he, was, he did a great job of pointing out that like a lot of the things I was thinking about in terms of like 
when you are a citizen of empire and how do you deal with that? Mm -hmm. Because you aren't necessarily a rebel. You're just kind of living with it. And maybe you are living with it, but you also don't like what it's doing in places, either within your borders or outside of it. But do you have the power to do anything about that? Maybe not. And like, what, mm -hmm. what do you do? How do you live? And he made the great point of like, that's really seems to be present in the way George Lucas is thinking about Luke Skywalker in A New Hope, because here's this kid on, you know, this outskirts planet in the middle of far gone nowhere, who thinks the only way I'm going to be able to live a life outside of this is through the empire. And that was 100% correct. But like, right. that's just sort of like amplified here. So I feel like it was wow. already very present in Star Wars. Um, and I didn't have the language to articulate why that felt true until he pointed that out. But I really do think it's not weird for the empire to be positioned as like the status quo because right. it extremely is in the uh, genre of that we're riffing off of with Chidaigeki, which has already its lineage with Star Wars, but it's also just like kind of there within Star Wars itself. Yeah. Dang. <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, so, yeah. I'm so here for this right now. <laughs> 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 Man, Corey, you're gonna like this book, man. I I, I'm, I'm so excited. I might, I might go read it like literally as soon as we're done with this. I'm just like so yeah. jacked for this right now. Like I, I, I love history so much, and it really seems like like so much has influenced your writing. Like, I, I, I now I just I really want to read the manuscript that got you the job because it's gotta be. It's well, gotta that's a 2023. Like, that's coming. Oh, man, I just can't wait <laughs> for that. For yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well. So we've got my brain is like just melting with all that information. And I love I love all that history stuff. So we're gonna let's switch gears for a second on the technical writing aspect of it too, because Ronin is such a, a beautifully uniquely written book. And one of the coolest features that I loved about it was the fact that character names change in narration depending on who's featured in the chapter. Um, really, the Ronin has descriptors. The Traveler uh, Kuru is referred to as homicidal Sith Lady, which is my <laughs> personal favorite. Um, so, I want to ask you what what uh, what made you decide to give each point of view like their own agency within narration, not only their own dialogue. Um, one, it's because I'm I'm very used to writing in uh close pov i i tend mm -hmm. to write really from the perspective of the character who has command of pov like other authors are a little better at taking like that step back i'm not practiced in that um and another thing was that an early studio directive was that uh the ronin was just the ronin he does not have a name and Tom and I very early both went like, oh, okay, so Batman. <laughs> and <laughs> like, there's this episode, I oh think I was trying to figure out which episode it was. I think it's actually Batman Beyond where someone's trying to mind control uh, old Bruce Wayne and they keep on like talking to him like they're his own thoughts saying Bruce, da, 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 da. 
And he shakes them off at the end and they're like, oh my God, how'd you do that? And he's like, I don't call myself Bruce. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally just binge watched uh, Batman Beyond like like two months ago and I know exactly oh, what you're talking about. That was <laughs> yes. the most, yeah, okay. I forget what that guy's name is, like Mindbender or something like that. But it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is like the most Batman thing ever. It's like, I don't call myself Bruce, only Batman. It's just like, please, this is, this is so perfect. <laughs> me it's so sad but it's so interesting and so on point with the character and like we both immediately thought of that episode we're like okay cool he's the Roman (laughs) (laughs) oh my god now the reread is gonna make so much even more sense and I want the audiobook to be Batman voice now like I want all of that (laughs) oh wow Um, yeah I haven't heard the audiobook yet but I'm excited to uh because I've listened to the guy who's um narrating it uh joel de la fuente i've like looked up mm-hmm. the things he's read i'm like oh he has a nice voice <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm eager for this but awesome. um yeah so that everything with names should be seen as a reflection of that core fact that this mm-hmm. guy has forsaken his name he has a moniker that's it mm-hmm. and so names can be very fluid in this, but also like I had to let other people call him something else because there was no way I was gonna have people <laughs> calling him the Ronin. Hey, the <laughs> Ronin, can you come me. over here? That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, oh, you know, man. like that, um, but as a consequence, like every other instance of someone having a name or laying claim to a name or having a really close relationship with their name or also trying to like throw that name aside it's just part of that same dynamic right that's the mm-hmm. origin sure. yeah i i'm so excited for we we uh we always talk about the books with full spoilers a month after release and then we can kind of be free oh, okay there are uh-huh. particular you were just mentioning like characters that wanted like throw aside their names and do things that i'm like uh-huh. I, in a month i'm very excited to talk about that particular stuff because that's <laughs> it's so effective for a book that when you set that up for the characters that just have titles to when actual names are brought in at certain points, it, it, it threw me for a loop in a way that like I haven't really experienced before because I'm not familiar with close POV writing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, ooh, it's like when someone puts a, a teacup down in a restoration play, you're like, ooh, that means a lot in this universe. Like, I don't care about it normally. That's for my theater friends out there. Um, yeah. Ah, oh, love that. Uh, that's yeah, fantastic. So, so, cool. so I'm speaking, kind of going off of that a little bit. Speaking of the Traveler, uh, yes. I think I think the Traveler may be like the most featured non-binary Star Wars character maybe ever, and with the show and the book, which is super awesome, super inclusive. So, as an author that also uses they pronouns, how awesome was it to sort of add that to Star Wars canon? Uh, I didn't know if I was going to get away with it, but here's, here's <laughs> the thing I want to put out. Uh, I never got a no for any of the queer stuff I put on this in this book, awesome. um, either from the editors Sick. or the story group. Good. Everybody was extremely cool. Uh, no barriers were put up. Everything we talked about had everything to do with like how we were navigating the relationship mm-hmm. uh, in this reinterpretation of Star Wars. And when they yeah. wanted things to be like brought closer to the Star Wars canon, or mm-hmm. they were like giving me a little more leeway to get a little more wild. That was what we were talking about. This stuff just like did not come up, and I'm very grateful to them for that. Yeah. But uh, 
I very quickly decided that, you know, I wanted this character to have they, them pronouns be kind of like ambiguous in that sense, mm -hmm. because I think it's very clear early on, like what I'm thinking of when I created this character and like the role they play in the story. Mm -hmm. It's very in alignment with Kitsune and who are like the fox spirits in Japan and they're tricksters, cool. right? So yeah. um, the Kitsune also appears uh, or a likeness of it appears in Korean and Chinese folklore. But in those, they're a little less ambiguous. They're a little more sinister. So, but in Japanese folklore, you have the kitsune and they do sometimes possess people and drive them crazy. And they do sometimes play tricks that are like kind of nasty, but sometimes it's just very playful. And also there is Inari, who is a fox kami, a deity, who is a deity of the harvest and of good fortune. So there's more ambiguity around what kitsune mean in the context of Japanese folklore. And it was just very appropriate for this character to be occupying a space of like, we don't know what they're up to, let alone what they're thinking. <laughs> and uh, also like Kitsune can take on the form, they're shapeshifters, they can take on the form of women or of men, and it can be the same Kitsune doing either. And so wow. my question was like, are they going to be gender fluid? Are they going to be gender ambiguous? And I ended up just going with uh, ambiguous. Wow. It's like so just... thoughtful and fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. We, we talk all the time about like, you know, the galaxy is such a huge place with aliens and people. Of course, there are all different types of people in Star Wars. Like that's not even a question. And it is it is refreshing to hear that that is also the publishing initiative as well. Yeah. And yes. oh my gosh, the puzzle piece is super cool about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, my mind just breaking knowing this character now. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the shapeshifter yeah. idea that is that is really really cool. I've never really thought or yeah. considered that Great. before. That is a really really cool perspective, yeah. Also, to our non binary friends, I know we talked about being cyborgs earlier. If you want to call yourself shapeshifters, I think that would also be rad. <laughs> I think we should also start putting that forward. That would be great. I love um, that. That's great. <laughs> wow. All right, Charles, I'm, I'm I just I feel like out of my learning. ears here so much <laughs> I know. probably more in this interview than uh we've ever had with an author before it's, and in it's college that's for sure yeah <laughs> <laughs> definitely med school that was a waste of time that's because we weren't oh, in yeah. the right classes guys. the that's japanese right. monsters classes where it was at okay? <laughs> um, so I, i'm curious kind of getting back to the creation of this story when you're making a novel like ronin that's describing really all these different kind of pieces of history in an alternate timeline, you know, the, the Sith and Jedi war, the Jedi's Lords, all that kind of stuff. Do you actually mark all of that out before you sit down and start writing the story or did it just kind of come to you and form as you were writing? I'm very much an outliner. So, um, there was some structure. I don't think there was a strict timeline, and that's why when I was reading through it, I'd go like, oh, I have to fix when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, and there are some things that are like a little ambiguous to me about like when that happened. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, no, I had, I, I kept it to some very nice, easy numbers to remember like, okay, 
20 years is meaningful, 10 years is meaningful. Mm-hmm. These are all things that we can very much like track and keep like an eye on. Um, because I didn't do that in the archive, I'm dying and I'm suffering for it. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-orders available soon. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, uh, definitely in the iterative process of figuring out like what the story is going to be also means figuring out what is the history that it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And some of that I knew some of it I was figuring out as I was going because what I've learned about my own process is it that if I do too much pre-planning, then I ignore it and then make more work for myself. Yeah, sure. So- <laughs> probably, uh, probably kind of a healthy way to look at the growing in complexity of Star Wars timeline anyway, which is kind of all over the place, quite frankly. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was fun reading this book because, because you know, so much of our life, especially in in like the stuff we usually read and stuff we do, is figuring out. All right, what BBY ABY? Wait, this month the Millennium Falcon was in this sector, so Han Solo couldn't have shown up here. And it's just like to see a universe that's like I know nothing. I don't know whose side who was on i don't know what this yeah, planet is it's, it's alternate it was, it was timeline so, is clever it's very clever. yeah and it was something i realized that i kind of take advantage of sometimes when i'm reading or take for granted when i'm reading other <clears> books to be like oh cool i kind of know what's going on and when reading ronan it was fun to read your history to be like i don't know i don't know when this happened let's find yeah. out so i thank you for the 20 years 10 years because you're right it is nice and it's way better than mm-hmm. figuring out what happened 7.4 years ago in a different sector oh my of gosh. space. Did we, we have somebody on the team that that's like basically his entire job. His entire job. Keep, he's, he's just like a madman. your man. story group. Yes, that's, yes! that's it. He's oh my like, God. We call him Trevor the Timeline Guy. And that's what he does. I mean, he just like, he <laughs> yeah. has this crazy documents and he does it. It's nuts. He's the Utini story group guy. That's amazing. That's all. All right, we got to update his Slack channel name now. Exactly. Yep. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So, and of course, talking about things that you, you created just for Ronan so far. Um, one of the things I also loved, you described the force in really cool ways. It's the black current and the white flare keep showing up throughout the book. Um, and there's so much more active than just like a a light, dark, passive, like a, a literal binary of these two things. So I want to ask, how did you settle on this like fire and water imagery for something that we've kind of known about for 40 years that you essentially redefine how it works? So that was also part of uh, bringing Star Wars closer to the Japanese lens, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're looking at like, okay, so what does Sith mean in this context? Mm-hmm. All right. So if, this guy is a Sith and a Ronin. That means he's kind of like departed from the state. That means that contextually Jedi are of the state. Da, 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 da. And in this case, I was looking at the force and like um, the light side and the dark side, I think are a little ambiguously understood. And there's a couple of reasons for that. <laughs> and um I think that's true because a lot of us can argue about what exactly they mean for days. Sure. Because they don't have have. a very clear. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And um, my suspicion is I I think we all like pretty much understand that the force derives from ideas of like chi or ki, Mm -hmm. which themselves are connected to Taoism, which is rooted in, is originally a. Chinese folk religion and faith, and that's like been incorporated into um, 
various beliefs and systems. And it's also present in Japan in various ways. And um, in Taoism, you don't just have chi, you have the understanding of yin and yang. And my supposition is that the light side and the dark side are related to that. However, yin and yang are nothing like the light side and the dark side, mm-hmm. which have a pretty clear moral uh, resonance with them, mm-hmm. right? Um, regardless of whether people like talk about like finding balance, like, well, that would be easier to stomach if the Sith didn't constantly murder people. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> like that's that's one of the reasons that it, you can talk for so long about like, well, what does this mean in the context of canon? So, not wanting to wrestle with that and being like, I don't think. I also didn't think that sort of morality play would resonate very well within Jidaigeki which is not very interested in heroes mm-hmm. so much as this guy has done good things. And also in the name of those, that good thing he's pursuing, he does a thing that he can't countenance that he mm. thinks, well, I didn't like that. <laughs> what does that <laughs> yeah. mean? Do I keep on doing that thing I don't oh. like, or do I stop pursuing the thing that I think is good and worthwhile or, you know, what do I do? And he's not the only one struggling with that within the context of the narrative. Like that's what Jidaigeki likes to do. So it didn't really make sense to me to keep the light side and the dark side as they appear in camp for this kind of story. So in that sense, like just falling back on reflections of like, all right, so Yin is darkness. It is water. It is flow. It is passivity, it is the moon, and young is brightness, it is white, it is the sun, it's heat and energy, and just having this sense of like they both exist in the world. Everybody understands that everybody has different like affinities with it, and some people have the ability to actually like tap into that, but it's very necessary for training and focus to be part of that. Like you can't do the kinds of things that Jedi and Sith in this world do, unless you very specifically trained to do that. Um, because again, it was all about bringing it closer to what I feel like is pretty obviously its source material. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, this, this whole time, I'm just like, I just sit back and listen. I'm like, all right, we're doing an interview, right? We're talking like, this is, <laughs> this is like, it's just, it's so wild listening to this knowing the book and knowing that people are going to listen and then read the book and like there's just the way you have crafted this universe around these things it's like it's just so cool it's just like the lamest way to say it it's just it's just so cool yeah it is such different. a it is one of the most unique takes that we've seen done to star wars ever i mean the entire visions yeah. initiative and this book it's just all yeah. like you just took really, really cool cultural themes and applied it to a well-understood kind of universe, and it's it's awesome and done really, really well. So, yeah. and I, mean, I we're think, just go ahead. So, yeah, sorry, I was gonna say it reminded me too. I think going forward, these concepts are gonna make so much sense to like canon stories in the you know quote unquote the normal universe, the the six one six universe of Star Wars or whatever we have, mm. like. 
taking these ideas, they are present. And I think that's one of the things I think a lot of folks that read Ronin are going to take from and it's going to be like, I don't see how you can then read future stories without taking these ideas and being like, he used, oh, he did a force push. It's like, oh, that's not just a force push. Is it, is it, is it a white, is it white flare? Is he using black current? Like, what's the deal? How is this flowing? And I'm just, that's, it's so cool to make something so universal in its own pocket realm. Yeah, it's only possible because it is, you know, Star Wars, I've been saying, like, has such a strong narrative DNA that it's so easy to work with and reinterpret. And that's why we can do, like, Marvel 616 Ultimates with it because it's so plainly itself, no matter, Mm -hmm. like, what trappings you put on it. Yeah, well, I mean, that that leads kind of perfectly into the next question because... Obviously, Ronin is incredibly unique as Star Wars novels go, but it still undoubtedly feels Star Wars, right? Like that, that's pretty undeniable. So kind of beyond those surface level things that we associate with Star Wars, the spaceships, the lightsabers, all those sorts of things. What elements do you think really makes something Star Wars? Uh, I have two sort of aesthetic opinions about what qualifies Star Wars as Star Wars. And one is that everything's a little bit grimy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep, dirty (laughs) sci-fi. You know, like, uh, if a thing is broken, either you know how to fix it, or you get a guy to fix it, or you can't fix it. You just have to live with it. Hydro spanner. And, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, like, maybe you don't know how to do that, so you, like, whack it a couple times and pray. (laughs) Uh, And the other thing... My other guiding light is that people are constantly whining. (laughs) 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 Like Han Solo running through the Death Star complaining about being shot at. That's like, that's being Star Wars to me. (laughs) Yes. That's Um, fantastic. Also the fan community, if we're being real. (laughs) 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 That's fantastic. We imitate what we love, right? That's the exactly. I also love that she basically just described it's true. It's true. And I love that you basically just described like the Utini like branding mood board too. It's just like grimy and dirty (laughs) and lived in. It's fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, no, like that's that's entirely what it is. So like when I'm thinking about, you know, how to craft a scene, I want to give it texture and make it palpable. And I also want yeah. to give people very petty opinions about it. Yeah. <laughs> my goodness. Emperor Palpable. Yes. He's my favorite character. <laughs> in all Star- I, it, was, it was right there. It was right there. <laughs> it is. My gosh. God. Yeah. There is something weird about, you know, we, we don't dive in too often to like the Star Wars, Star Trek debate. Like, every, everyone loves what they love. There is something about other sci-fi when you go and the ships just like shine. I'm like, Padme's ship shines. That's it. We are allowed one shiny spaceship. The rest must be dirty. The rest must make the coolest ship in the galaxy is on like an empty tank of gas. The entire saga. Yeah. And like with Ronan. There's a post about like Millennium Falcon weed van. Yeah, that's that's, that's accurate. And like, and like Ronin is such the deal. Like he, all, all the characters in Ronin, they there is some whining, definitely some whining. And like there is that bit of like these villages are not clean. Um, like we haven't we haven't mentioned him a ton because there were, there are so many things to talk about in this book. But our, our buddy Hatroid is always just bumming around in dirt. Uh, 
the real star of the book, B556, or Hatchroid, as he should be known. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, it's just so cool to see all these pieces that we know mixed with other kinds of grime and mixed with tea and mixed with, like, all these different parts of it because it, it is such the universe we know in a way we've never seen it. And mm-hmm. now going forward, every book I open, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for the grime and I'm going to look for the wine. And if it's not there, I'm sorry. It's not Star Wars. It work. Oh my gosh! But as we uh, as we come around to uh, to our end here, first of all, oh my gosh! Thank you for coming on the show. This has been yeah, real. just so much fun. I've learned more than I ever thought, and have never wanted to reread a book more. Um, so I'm very excited about it. Everyone listening, I hope that you have already opened your copy while listening to this. Um, and that you got yours because you pre-ordered like a smart person. Pre-order. Um, but we do about have that supply chain. Come on, help exactly. out the supply chain. You know Sorry. you love physical yeah. media. Are you going to read it now? No, but it'll be on the shelf. Come on. We know how this goes. <laughs> um, but we do always love to ask uh, a question at the end of all of our interviews. And this one is very interesting because, like you said, this is your first published work. It's your thereby your first Star Wars published work. <clears throat> but... You are writing in this universe. You are adding something so unique and beautiful to it that will leave a legacy of some sort. This will be remembered as what it is in the Star Wars community. So what would you hope, even just based on this first piece, will be your Star Wars legacy when people look back 10, 20 years from now at your contribution to Star Wars? Um, That it's a conversation piece with the canon itself. Because what I was Mm. trying to do with this was very much talk to and with the canon, not challenge it, Mm -hmm. but have this organic conversation with it. Because I'm not going fire upon canon. I'm going, no, let's build upon it and like have that reflection back and forth, which is so much the relationship of Japanese and U.S. media presence in visions but like its lineage too and its backstory everything that's coming together to create it and uh that was very present on my mind as i was writing the book and it's very much the kind of conversation i like to have so i hope i hope that worked (laughs) i mean yeah yeah also fi upon canon new shirt just let's (laughs) let's get that let's get that marked up um but (laughs) yeah yeah, it did. It did. Yeah, it's that simple. <laughs> it, it works. It I think this interview is a testament to the fact that it did. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, as far as we're concerned and as far as I know folks when they read this book are concerned, this will be far from your last addition to Star Wars in either the Ronin world, in the canon world, in the Tatooine Rhapsody world. I don't know um, what's going to happen going forward, but it's something so special. And you have already been such a delight in this fandom online and in every interaction. And we're so glad to to count you among our our Star Wars world now. It's such a it's such a joy. I've been so happy. I uh, was very nervous about coming online because I'm not really naturally a social media kind of person. But you guys wow. make it so easy to be there, and I enjoy my time. <laughs> Which is well, not something a lot of people can say about social media, I feel. No, I like no. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> Absolutely not. Scum and villainy, hive, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the boss. <laughs> I'm of the internet. 
how grim. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are some people that have not uh, found this glorious corner of the internet. Uh, we would like to give you a time. Where can people find you um, online? And uh, we know you got Ronan coming out, but this is now the official time to plug the next project as well as you like. So the floor is yours. It's true. Okay, so hi, I can be found uh, mostly on Twitter at Emma Candon, which is E-M-M-A-C-A-N-D-O-N. Theoretically, I'm also on Instagram and Tumblr uh, at mcandon, E-M-C-A-N-D-O-N. Uh, keep an eye out for my next book, The Archive Undying. I have a deadline for revisions in January. So <laughs> it's time start to trickle out after that. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that one's about divine AIs, giant robots made of bone, and people dragged screaming toward revolution. Oh my so, God. I thought the Ronin <laughs> tagline was good. <laughs> <laughs> bone uh, robots? I'm just, yeah, I'm, we couldn't uh, robots? Giant... <laughs> yeah, oh okay, so for a while we were joking that the title would be Giant Bone Naruto versus Feral Gundam, which is a very <laughs> accurate description. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god people, so. I, uh, <laughs> seo is our enemy this day that we were robbed of that but listen all you listening you know put that in your heart when you're reading this in 2023 oh my goodness well again thank you so much you are welcome back anytime we hope to talk about so many projects and uh again congratulations on this book it is something so special and all of you listening i hope that you take everything that emma said that blew our brains in the last hour and you take that with you as you're reading through ronin um yeah any 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 final thoughts to our listeners who are about to open your book for the first time thank you um i've written it so that it can be something that i i'd like it to be a gift to people who love star wars as much as i do because certainly uh, the most joy I get out of approaching a new Star Wars story is feeling like it's made by someone who has also engaged very deeply with mm. the narrative DNA and just like has a lot of thoughts and feelings and adoration for what it is and its place in the world. Well, and I'm I mean, trying to do that too. <laughs> and you nailed it. I hope that someone picks up this book and they get the feeling of seeing Luke Skywalker hanging from an icy ceiling on a TV by a river. So if that's you, make sure you let Evan know on Twitter. Tell everyone you love about this book and tell them to order it before the supply chain runs out. Emma, thank you so much. And to all of you listening, go read Ronan right now. Come back in a month for our round table. May the force be with you.